Read and hear more about important news and policy issues at ncpolicywatch.com. This is News and Views. Welcome back to News and Views. I'm Rob Schofield. As we've discussed previously on News and Views, K-12 schools aren't the only part of our state's education system that's been struggling with inadequate funding and politically driven micromanagement in recent years. As I was reminded in a conversation I had earlier this week with David Rice, the executive director of the research and advocacy nonprofit Higher Ed Works, both of these issues are big problems for our colleges and universities as well. Rice, whose group has begun to speak out more on K-12 through funding needs as well, also told me that the root of this problem may be tied to the fact that some on the political right have developed a deeply flawed view regarding the value of higher education. Well, David Rice, welcome to News and Views. Thanks so much for being with us. Happy to be here. So let's start with some big picture items, Dave. Over the years, a lot of people have come to kind of know higher ed works as the state's preeminent voice for supporting our colleges and universities. But at the start of the year, you wrote a piece entitled A Hope for 2023 that really makes clear you all have come to see your mission as encompassing more than just post-secondary ed. Am I right about that? Yes. We are not diminishing our attention to higher education in North Carolina, which is really unique in the country. But we've come to a a recognition, I guess you would call it, that the entire pipeline from preschool to grad school is important to the higher ed student body. And in turn, one feeds the other. The university system feeds the pre-K and K-12 universe, and they're really codependent. And very few organizations look at the entire continuum, the entire pipeline of students the, the students who are our future, really, I suppose, That's right. society. So there's a wish list you've kind of laid out for some of the things you would hope that our state government, in particular the General Assembly, as it gets underway with a new session this year, might take on. Can you highlight some of those maybe for us? First and foremost are salaries for faculty and teachers, and particularly community college instructors. Hmm. I mean, those have been issues for years in North Carolina. But particularly last year with the adoption of the state budget, the average state employee had a raise of three and a half percent. The average K-12 teacher had a raise of 4.2 percent, all at the same time that inflation was raging at 8.6 percent. And this is not advanced mathematics. I mean, it's, (laughs) you know, effectively those were pay cuts. And we appreciate the legislature doing what it can, but it needs to do more to keep up with inflation, especially if we want to recruit and retain the best instructors from pre-K through college. So you all have uh, identified the fact that we salaries are a big issue right through the whole uh, continuum of education from pre-K all the way up through uh, higher education. But there's a lot more that we need the General Assembly to do in 2023 to, to help our education environment. Sure. I mean, there is the looming Leandro decision and whether the legislature will abide by the Supreme Court's order or whether they'll find some way to get it back to a more friendly North Carolina Supreme Court. There's also an emerging plan for teacher licensure and pay that in many respects might be the only way to get better pay for K-12 teachers. There appears to be some skepticism about it, in part because it hasn't been the most transparent process and there has seemed to be a rush to get it to the legislature. 
But this thing is going to require piloting in one or more counties to see how it works. So it's not something that's going to happen immediately. And I think people would be more accepting if the various metrics that they will use to measure teacher performance are nailed down in black and white. Yeah, we've heard a lot of pushback from teachers who are worried about the fact that they might teach in a school that has a very challenging environment that might test scores might be tough to get them to go up in that school. And it doesn't seem like that should reflect on the teacher's pay. By the same token, the idea of of some level of performance requirement from teachers is not necessarily objectionable. And it seems like at a minimum, perhaps we ought to get teachers on board with the whole thing to some extent rather than fighting it, I suppose. That certainly would help. One performance metric, though, is growth, not just basic scores, but how much you've improved those scores. Those are the teachers that are doing the Lord's work and really helping marginal students. Amen to that. Another recommendation I know and another big issue that confronts our higher education environment these days is this new commission that Governor Cooper appointed in November. It's a headed a bipartisan commission headed by the two most recent past presidents of the university system, or at least two of the most recent permanent past presidents, Tom Ross and Margaret Spellings. Legislature's not uh, evincing a whole lot of interest in this commission, but it still seems like this group could uh, make some recommendations that could make a difference in our uh, higher education system. It's a bipartisan commission, first and foremost, and includes some people who have a whole lot of experience on higher education boards. And yes, there's skepticism about how much the legislature might enact of the recommendations, but I believe if they talk about representation on the Board of Governors, whether that is by gender, race, geography, or political party, that that would be safer than transferring a point of power to the executive branch. Mm-hmm. Some measure of diversity, perhaps, in, the, in the, the, the leadership of our university system. That's right. It, it's clearly out of line right now. There is one Democrat on a 24-member board, and frankly, I'm not sure anyone is is measuring unaffiliated representation on the board, and mm-hmm. that's a serious component of the electorate in North Carolina. We're talking with David Rice, who's the executive director of the North Carolina-based education support nonprofit, Higher Ed Works. You can learn more at higheredworks.org, talking about some of their recommendations for the upcoming session of the North Carolina General Assembly, really, that's already gotten underway. The General Assembly has a big surplus, right, David? There's a lot of money that they could be perhaps using to fill some of these gaps we've seen in teacher pay and other needs in our education system. I take it that might be a one place they could, you think they should look to find those funds? Certainly. And one fundamental budgeting principle is that you should not use one-time money for recurring expenses. And a lot of people don't seem to understand that. You wouldn't use a slug of one-time money to award raises. You can use it for a one-time bonus. And the legislature last year put $4 billion into reserves, including more than a billion into an inflation reserve. So if inflation turns out to be a temporary phenomenon, I won't get into Jerome Powell's description of it, (laughs) but that might be a way to help teachers at least keep up with inflation as a a one-time occurrence in this post-pandemic world we're in at the moment. But there are also other uses of of one-time money are for capital projects. And there was 
a generous distribution of, of funds across the UNC system for capital projects. And we re- recently did an interview at Fayetteville State University and uh, the chancellor there, Daryl Allison, told us that 46% of their students are adult learners and 95% of those adult learners commute. And he said that they actually got more high fives for a new parking deck that they're going to build than they did for a $63 million new college of education. Because that's just a very practical matter for adult learners. And with the demographic shrinkage in the traditional cohort of college age students, more and more universities are going to need to look at those adult learners and ways to accommodate them, including on-campus daycare, for instance. We ran a story at NC Policy Watch this past week that talked about the changing demographics of our country and how there have been, now it looks like maybe there was a, a decline in birth rates, some attributing it to tough economic times, but whatever the cause, earlier in the century, it's now having some impact on the number of applications, the number of enrollments in our higher education system. Is that a, is that something you've seen as well? Yes. Enrollment is down this year just slightly across the UNC system. But another factor in that is that 18 years ago, the state of North Carolina changed the age at which students could start kindergarten. And mm-hmm. that may also have contributed to this mild shrinkage in enrollment In response to that declining enrollment, the UNC Board of Governors has increased the percentage of of -of out-of-state students that a number of schools, principally the historically Black colleges and universities, but UNC Greensboro, UNC Asheville as well, in order to, first of all, reduce vacancies, Mm -hmm. and second of all, to support revenues since those out-of-state students pay at least twice, if not three to five times more as an in-state student. Talking with David Rice, Executive Director of the North Carolina-based education support nonprofit, Higher Ed Works. We've talked about how y'all at Higher Ed Works are really looking from preschool all the way through graduate school these days when you're talking about supporting our education system. Y'all had a post that you ran earlier this month called Getting Serious About Early Literacy. And maybe that touches on some topics we've already talked about, but seems like that's something that the leaders of our university system are increasingly concerned about, is the literacy of the students who eventually come to our university system. Certainly. I mean, early childhood, starting with pre-kindergarten or daycare, is so important to later, all the way to college readiness. Early literacy helps with third grade reading, eighth grade math, helps with college readiness, and it's all part of the same construction of a good student. And there has been some controversy in recent years over what's known as the science of reading. It is too often characterized as simply about phonics, and I think there is a knee-jerk reaction to that characterization, especially at colleges of education. But a consultant survey of the colleges of education in the UNC system found that quite a few of the schools aren't fully adopting the science of reading, which does include phonics, but it's one of about 10 or 12 components of learning to read. And so when you put it in the proper perspective, phonics isn't dominant. And this is research-driven, data-driven instruction in reading. And 
the Board of Governors was not happy at their last meeting with the lack of progress in implementing how to teach teachers how to teach reading. You mentioned the Board of Governors. It would be silly of me to talk about the state of higher education these days without mentioning the fact there are some controversies, obviously. Uh, we've alluded to the debate over the diversity that uh, we see in the Board of Governors, but there have been some other issues. We've had this move of the Board of Governors moving the system offices, uh, I guess, from Chapel Hill over to Raleigh. I know that's causing some uh, concerns in some corners. There's also been some debate about uh, compelled speech, an issue that the Board of Governors has been weighing in on, and freedom of speech on campuses. And then we've had a new center that's uh, apparently going to be launched by the UNC Board of Trustees. A lot of hot button issues out there. Talk to us about this move. Uh, it seems like there was some disagreement, even within the Board of Governors, as to whether that's a good idea. But I guess it's it's happening, right? It is. The UNC system offices have already moved from Chapel Hill to Raleigh. And that's not a new topic. It's something that Tom Ross, when he was president of the UNC system, looked into because their space in Chapel Hill was somewhat dated and antiquated. Mm. So moving the UNC system offices is not necessarily an issue, but the ultimate plan here is to put them in the same building with the community college system mm. office across the street from the General Assembly in a building mm. that could range from 115 to $180 million. Moving them isn't a problem. Putting them in a situation where there's a tighter grip from the legislature is a problem. And indeed, that has been the trend in recent years. It seems that we're seeing a, a higher degree of for lack of a better term, micromanagement from the Board of Governors over all kinds of details of the uh, university system. And indeed, we refer to this compelled speech topic. Talk to us about what's been going on there and why that's controversial in some circles. The other label you hear for that is overreach, that the governing boards are there to govern and to set broad policy, not to meddle in the day-to-day -day operations of the institution. Or as they say in in Ireland, it's a long way fiduciary. Um, <laughs> this policy on compelled speech that will be before the Board of Governors in February is fairly innocuous in terms of the language and the policy. So it depends on how much imagination you want to apply to how that policy could be used. Some folks see that as an effort to block any questions about diversity, equity, and inclusion and employment at the university, and others don't see that. As I said, it, it depends on how much imagination <laughs> you apply, but it doesn't take much. Yeah, I guess there's some concern that you might have an applicant for a job who might take a, if we're going to prohibit from asking any sort of political questions, there are issues out there in the world that might, political questions that might have something to do with someone's fitness to serve in a particular position. But it's, uh, you're right, it's open to interpretation. It'll be interesting to see how it's enforced. We're getting to the end of our time with David Rice, who's the executive director of Higher Ed Works. We're talking about really all of North Carolina's education system, but in particular, our colleges and universities. David, maybe we'll get you out of here on this one. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about this. We, we ran a column this week at NC Policy Watch that you had authored previously about a, a debate over sort of the whole value of higher education and, the, and the, the, the success of our system. There was a critique from a conservative think tank that alleged that lower salaries indicated that a lot of schools in our university system weren't really that necessary. Perhaps we should even do away with some of these schools. 
individual programs because graduates weren't really making that much money and that showed that they weren't very successful. I thought you wrote a very powerful response to that, which was that there's a lot more to the success of an education system, in particular a higher education system, than just merely what people make or what, what they get paid. Yes, that was a classic example of viewing higher education as an individual or personal good rather than a public good. And there's plenty of research that shows that the difference between someone with and without a higher education degree is about a million dollars over the course of a lifetime. But beyond that, and we relied on a piece written by Chris Clemens, the provost at UNC Chapel Hill, who is an acknowledged conservative himself, who pointed to more than a billion dollars in outside research dollars that Chapel Hill attracts and hundreds of companies that have been spun off from university research. So viewing that as just how much the individual student benefits does not at all encompass the broader benefit to our community and our society. David Rice is the executive director of the North Carolina-based education support nonprofit Higher Ed Works. You can find him at higheredworks.org, David. As always, it's a delight to have you. Thank you for your service to our state and commentary and writings and analysis and research on so many important issues. It's a delight to have you. We'll look forward to talking to you again later this year. It's a pleasure. Thanks, Rob. Well, that's it for this edition of News and Views. Remember, you can check us out online and subscribe for free to some of our state's best news coverage and political commentary at ncpolicywatch.com. You can also listen to all of our interviews and commentaries on Apple Podcasts. For producer Clayton Henkel, it's Rob Schofield. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you again next week. You've been listening to News and Views. A weekly look at state and policy issues is a production of North Carolina Policy Watch. Visit them online at ncpolicywatch.com.